Well, good morning again. And we get to uh, the Word of God as uh, God speaks to us through His Word, by His Spirit, and we get to understand a little more of who He is and uh, what He has for our lives. Romans 8, we happen to be in uh, like the diamond, the sparkling diamond in all of the Bible, uh, one of the greatest chapters in, in Scripture. As we have been studying the book of Romans and we've gotten to this chapter, it defines for us here in this chapter today, in chapter 8, which we'll be starting at verse 9, is really about life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. And those are key phrases that we'll uh, see today. The first seven chapters were really based upon what Christ did. Uh, and, of course, because of what He did, we are justified, we're declared righteous. We saw that we are sinners and we have no hope without somebody like God, and only God, and that's His Son, who can save us from our sin. And, uh, of course, by His work doing that, He redeems us, Christ does. So we saw that in the first seven chapters. In chapter 8, uh, we really get the idea that the Holy Spirit is very much emphasized here. Even though Christ is here, Christ is in every chapter. He's in the whole Bible. And so is the Holy Spirit. A lot of times you don't necessarily see Him mentioned uh, as maybe frequently as Christ, but actually He is mentioned a lot. A tremendous amount of times that we'll see the Holy Spirit. And in this chapter alone, I think it's something like 26 times or some, something like that. I know somebody's going to try to count them. And they're going to check to see if that number is right, and I'm not even sure. I think it's something like that, as I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. But the uh, Holy Spirit chapter here really em emphasizes that there is no condemnation in the salvation that we have. You remember we started this uh, chapter off with, there is therefore now no condemnation. What is he saying? Because of the last seven chapters, or the first seven, uh, because of what Christ has done. There is no condemnation if you are declared righteous in Christ. Uh, so that's good news, isn't it? And so we go with the Holy Spirit now and we see that He applies the work of the redemption that is done by Christ. He applies it to us. All those who believe. The redemption work of Christ is brought to us. He frees us from sin. He frees us from death. We've seen that mentioned several times in the last couple of chapters. He frees us from sin and death. He enables us to fulfill the law of God, which we found out it's impossible for anyone to fulfill the law of God. It was only Christ. But now we have the Holy Spirit. We can fulfill that law through His power. He changes our nature. Uh, he empowers us to have victory over sin. He confirms our adoption into the family of God. He intercedes for us. He's praying for us right now. He's praying for me because I need a lot of help in being able to bring forth His Word and I am not capable of at all by myself. I need the Holy Spirit. I remember I think it was C.H. Spurgeon had mentioned that whenever he went up the steps up to the pulpit every Sunday morning, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. He'd be whispering that to himself because that is the only reason why the power of God is going to be able to get to any one of us today. You guys want the power of God? It's all right here and He wants to give us more of Him. So that's exciting about that. I'm glad He's doing that. But He not only does all that work in the past and present, but also in the future, as far as glory is concerned, He's also in on that. He's in on everything that involves salvation in each one of us. The whole triune God is involved, and the Holy Spirit is the one that brings that power to us. And so, that is the biblical approach that we're going to do with this topic of the Holy Spirit. Because today in the evangelical church, spread out all abroad the world, it has the church has a skewed view of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a He and not an It 
or as in the vernacular of our day, uh, it's it's like uh, you know, are you supposed to even say he or she? Uh, you know what's happening with that. But here in this case, there's a personal pronoun, he. He is a person. He is not a force such as we would hear in Star Wars. May the force be with you. This is the person of God through the Holy Spirit. A lot of people have a minimal view or a very shallow view of the Holy Spirit and they would say that, uh, you know, I don't know much about the Holy Spirit, but uh, I, I don't exactly get it. And, and, you know, I don't think we need to be getting into that topic too much. It sounds crazy to me. Uh, and so, therefore, there are people that way. There are other people that uh, have huge errors about understanding what the Holy Spirit is. And they, they say the Holy Spirit is the one who is to make people happy. And you say, well, that sounds pretty good. Well, He can make us very joyful. And yes, the, there is something to that, but that's what people think. That's what His ministry is. He is to make people giddy. Uh, matter of fact, to even lie on the floor laughing. And we, we've heard of some of the, the laughing ministries that there have been around uh, years ago where people would actually stick to the floor and they couldn't get back up because the Holy Spirit held them down and they were stuck like glue. That's some of the actions that they say the Holy Spirit does. Or whenever a, a TV minister comes up and slams them in the forehead, they go back and they hit the floor, and uh, we know some people have been knocked out because of that. It's uh, kind of dangerous as they go backwards. I know they're supposed to have somebody to catch them. Some of you have heard of these kind of uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit. Actually, I will tell you, that's emotionally out of control. It is not biblical, and you will not see anything in Scripture that deals with any of those things. It's, it's an emotional aspect. has nothing to do with truth. Uh, that's why Jesus said to worship in spirit and in truth. The truth about the Spirit of God, worship in spirit and where there is an emotional aspect as far as our spirit is concerned. Uh, we, we do that with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. You're born again by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. The two are so connected and you will never have the Holy Spirit doing some kind of action that goes against the grain of what the Holy, uh, the Holy Bible says, the very truth. So uh, a lot of people say, well, the uh, Holy Spirit is the one who gives us gibberish, a language that can't be understood and uh, neither does the one that's speaking it, but it's getting closer to God. And nowhere in Scripture is that mentioned. And I know somebody would say, well, in Romans or in Corinthians it talks about that. Yeah, uh, but uh, in the negative sense when you see what the whole context is. So we don't take Scripture out and just make it do what we want. Uh, that is, um, what we want is truth. And what we get a lot here today in Romans 8 is about the Holy Spirit and the truth of Him. This chapter actually gets to the real work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a long chapter, and we aren't even in the middle of it yet. It is an exciting chapter. Uh, what we're dealing with here is life in the Spirit today, and actually this whole chapter could be that too. But uh, what is the Holy Spirit really doing besides all that nonsense that we just talked about? What does He really do? Well, what is life in the Spirit? Well, here it is in chapter 8, 9 through 11. This is life in the Spirit as we will look at it. Here's what a Christian looks like as we see this as the Spirit works in them. Let's uh, grab that precious Word of God. Whatever format you have, let's stand. Let's honor God's Word by reading it and uh, see what He has to say that would be good for all of us. Verse 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, 
But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, great God, You are holy. Every person in the triune God is holy. Here we have the Spirit who is holy. And Lord, help us to have the ears to hear, the mind to pay attention to Your Word here of all that the Holy Spirit has done, is doing, and will do. It is immense. And there's no way that we can understand all the truths of this Holy Spirit. We need to know Him better. What a role that He plays in our lives every constant moment. We know He inspired this Scripture and we know that He teaches this Scripture to us. And that He ultimately is the Teacher. So as we go into it, Lord, help us to bring this forth to an understanding. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are going to divide this up in three parts. Really simple. You will have this outline in your head in the space of five seconds. You ready? Past, present, future. That's how we broke it up today. Uh, the Holy Spirit has done something in the past. The Holy Spirit is doing something right now in our lives as we live today and on through until Christ comes back and then the Holy Spirit will still be working in us. And uh, I want to tell you, it's an exciting thing. What does the Holy Spirit do at the moment of salvation when one comes to Christ? Well, we're going to review uh, a few scriptures here, and I want to tell you there are many, many more, and we could go all day, uh, and all day, and all day, and then all night, about the ministries of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, I just took a select few, not that uh, some are better than others, but for lack of time, that's what we're going to do here to start off uh, our point one in the past, and we'll do each one of those on each point. This is in the past tense for the Christian. This is what happened as we were given new life by the Spirit. And by the way, this is to all Christians. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And of course in this verse, that's the idea that he says, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So, do you see the contrast? It's really simple to understand. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are a Christian. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. Simple as that. Put black and white here by Apostle Paul, Holy Spirit inspired. Uh, what does the Holy Spirit do to us when we have been brought to Christ? We're drawn to Christ because of the power of God. you know what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts us of our sin. In John 16, verse 8, you have Jesus speaking here. By the way, in John 14, 15, 16, 17, or 16, uh, He speaks of the Holy Spirit quite frequently. He said, I have to leave, but I'm going to give you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will then reside in you. And He will then teach you and lead you and guide you. Uh, even when Jesus is gone, the Holy Spirit was going to be there. So in John 16a, Jesus speaking says, And when He comes, that's the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit whenever He showed me my sin because without me knowing that I'm really a terrible, awful, wicked sinner and I come so short of God's glory and the Holy Spirit comes in there and He starts showing what a sinner I am. And so He convicts me of my sin and He also is convicting that there is righteousness. And the righteousness of God compared to my sin knocks me dead. 
I am dead because of that. I cannot meet the righteous demands of God. God is righteous, right? So He convicts me of my sin and I see His holiness, His righteousness. I don't have a chance. And so therefore I cry out to the Lord, Oh, I need Your righteousness for without it, I cannot go to heaven. I cannot be with You. I will be going to hell. Uh, that, in a sense, is what it is. And then you see that He convicts the world of not only sin, but the righteousness of God and then judgment. Because there is judgment coming. And if we are left in our sin and we have no hope, then there will be judgment. The judgment of the flames of the eternal fire. Uh, forever it is. And in verse 9 He says, Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. That is what it is about. People without Christ do not like God. They hate God. They don't like His ways. They can say they believe in Jesus all they want, but if they do not love God because of the Holy Spirit in them and really desire to do His ways in His power to follow Christ in the what He has stated in here, then they are they're lost and they're, they see God's righteousness and then there is judgment uh, to come. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does to unbelievers as He uh, converts them into believers. He has to first show you your sin. And oh, the more that you grow in Christ, the more sinfulness that you see in the world, and also even in ourselves as we battle it daily. And we hate it, don't we? All Christians hate sin. If there are certain sins that they really like, then you'd have to question, uh, are they really belonging to Christ? We hate sin. He, the Holy Spirit will convict us of it constantly all through our lives. But what we're starting here is on the past. That's what He did to you. You may not remember exactly how that happened, but uh, you were convicted. Uh, another one that uh, I like so well is found in Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And it's, it's talking about regeneration. Titus 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us, that's God, Christ, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, there are righteous works, not in that, but according to His mercy. That means we are in a terrible position. And we're calling out to God when we recognize our sin for His mercy. Uh, that means don't give us what we deserve. That is mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. What do you deserve? <laughs> yeah, well, we don't serve heaven. We don't serve Christ. And He does this by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That means there's a divine cleansing that comes from God. It's divine cleansing of sin. Jesus paid it all, right? Washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's where He paid it. And because of that, we are generated. We are given life. Whereas we were dead in our trespasses and sins, as it says in Ephesians 2.1. We were formerly that way. We were people that were depraved without God. So that is another one. In John 3, we have Nicodemus, we have Jesus. This is a new birth. We are convicted at salvation of sin. We are regenerated. We are born again. And that's what Nicodemus asked Jesus. How can I, you know, you know, Teacher, you know, all these signs that you're doing, it's got to be just God alone can do this. Jesus took the opportunity and said in verse 3, answered, said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot choose to be born physically, you cannot choose to be born spiritually. You uh, didn't even choose where you were going to be born, who your parents were, uh, 
all the things that go with that, you had nothing to do with it, would you admit that? Well, the same thing is here, and this is what Jesus is talking about. You have to be born again from uh, uh, another. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? He knew better than that. It was, you know, go through physically. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, the water, not baptism waters, we're talking spiritually here. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Word of God, the water of life, the water of the Word of God, the Word of God and the Spirit. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God or the Word about Christ. Uh, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That means we cannot do anything by works or just say in my mind, oh, I want to go to heaven, I want to be with God. We cannot do that. But it's by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We're born again because of the Spirit's action on us and, and regenerating us. He enables us to believe. We have no belief in God in the way that it is biblically. Sure, there are a lot of people believe in God, but do they really believe the very Word of God, how you're saved, how you live, what heaven is all about, all those major things that uh, are doctrines that are dear to us in the Scripture. He sets us free from sin and death at the moment of salvation. We're no longer under the bondage of sin, the law, uh, death. You know, you are born once, you die twice. You're born twice, born again, you die once. There is a bodily death that has to happen, but we go immediately to be with the Lord. That's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit is causing that. Uh, also, at the time that we are saved, the Holy Spirit takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes that righteousness to us. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Christ did His work on the cross physically, then the very, and He did righteousness there. Righteousness is then planted upon us. It's imputed. It's given to us. He takes our sin away. It's the great exchange. It's the great trade. And so therefore, we have the imputation. It's a banking term. It means now you are on, on your count now has been credited as righteousness. Whereas you didn't have any before, I didn't have any, nobody. Nobody's good. And remember that uh, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of God's righteousness. And then we say, well, uh, like Martin Luther said, I know I can't get His righteousness. I've tried everything and I keep confessing my sins. And as soon as he walked out of the confessional, he walked back in. What did he do? He started confessing his sins. He went for hours sometimes confessing his sin because he knew he couldn't meet God's righteousness. And as soon as he'd get out on the pathway walking back, to the, he knew he'd sinned again. He knew he was a sinner and he knew that God's demand was too good. And he was not. And you know what? Somebody said, do you love God, Martin? And he said, love God? No, I hate Him because I know I can't do what He's demanding. Nobody can. But this is where the Holy Spirit does. He takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes it to the, the one who's now a, a believer all at the same time all this is happening. He changes our very nature from the nature of being sinners to the being the nature of the very sons and daughters of God into His family. There's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. He adopts us into the family of God. Later on, as we look in Romans 8, it talks about that. And what we're going to be talking about a lot today is He takes up residence at the moment of salvation. Boom! Like that. He comes into us and the Holy Spirit is in us. We are in Him. And if you're wondering, what are you saying, Dennis? Well, it's in our text today, and it's in every verse, 9, 10, 11. Uh, let's read through here. Look at this. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Right there in verse 9. Did you see that? Um, verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now there is Christ who is in you. That's interesting. Christ 
Holy Spirit. Get to that in a moment. But let's drop down to verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Okay, He dwells. He takes up residence in us. Look in John 14. And by the way, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus had a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and He'll give you another Helper. Helper. Comforter. And He may be with you forever. By the way, when He says another, that means Jesus is talking about Himself as being with them. He is quite the Helper when He walked with them here on earth with the Apostles. And He's saying here another, which is another of the same kind. Uh, somebody who is a different person but of the same nature, of the same kind. Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ are different persons, but yet they are both God. Two persons, one God. And He says that He may be with you forever. That is, and He explains who He is, the Spirit of truth. What we're talking about here today is, is truth. Uh, whenever you uh, listen to uh, radio, internet, watch TV or what have you, there's a lot of things there you really have to screen out. And especially that happens to be dealing with world news. Uh, most of that is uh, not necessarily truth. It's, it's lies after lies after lies. But we have the truth. Jesus said He is the way, the truth, and the life. Here the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And everything that they get from God, the Spirit is impressing upon these disciples, these apostles, that it is truth. And everywhere they go, they deliver the truth of the Gospel. So anyway, it says, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him, but you, as Christians, know Him. Because He abides, lives, dwells, pitches His tent or temple with you, and He will be with you forever. That's a guarantee. It's not based upon our works for salvation, and it's not based upon our works even in our walk with Christ. He'll always be with us. He makes His abode. He dwells. And I want you to think about this. This is what I want you to get the most today. He dwells in us. We cannot lose when we realize no matter how you're being pounded by the devil and the world and your flesh, that if you would just remember who you are and who lives in you, that's amazing, isn't it? That is very encouraging. Well, anyway, that's a few of the things that the Holy Spirit did in the past at our salvation. It's all just in, in, in one moment. I can't even describe how all of this happens, which is first, you know, and such. And, uh, but definitely uh, starting with the conviction of sin and regeneration, and then He grants us faith, and He grants us repentance, and all of this goes... And we see that there is a change of state in us. Our state changes. We are now in the Spirit. It says in Romans 8 here, however, you are not in the flesh. And he could have said any longer. But in the Spirit. Then he qualifies that. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if you're really a Christian, then He's there. He's dwelling in you. You have a change of state. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it is not that a man just changes his beliefs and no more. Our, our beliefs do change. But he says, uh, Jones says, no, he was in the realm of the flesh. He was in that. And he is now in the realm of the spirit. Did you see the contrast? Spirit flesh, right? And 
So, unbeliever, believer, uh, once we were dominated by the flesh, would you all agree? The flesh just did whatever it wanted to do. We didn't have the Holy Spirit living in us, so uh, what restraints did we have? Well, there were certain things. You know, we used our mind and just didn't sin to the very hill. But the thing is, you go into the heart and you start seeing what really is there, and it's very convicting. Um, I will say that we were dominated by the flesh. What are we now as our state has changed? We are dominated by the Spirit of God. That is why you will have, uh, when, whenever there's a conviction of sin, you will feel the guilt. You'll know it's wrong. You might go against it and disobey, but I will tell you, God works in you, and He'll work on you through the Spirit, and little by little, it's a long process. It's our whole lives in this earth as we know it. But we know that we're not in the realm of the flesh. We are in the realm of the Spirit who dominates us. So we have a new condition. Uh, We are no longer governed by the flesh. Our nature has changed. Our longings, our desires are different. We don't want to do those things that we once did. Almost sounds like Romans 7 here. And here comes the battle, right? But... Do all Christians hate sin? Yes. Yes, they do. Because the Spirit so dwells in you that He makes you want to do His will. Now, not all the time are we doing His will, but that's what it's about. We're in war. We're in our battles, and we discussed that in in Romans uh, chapter 7. Uh, dealing with sanctification and of course in Galatians 5 the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh but these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please the things that you please are the things of God and so therefore the war is on and uh, we lose some battles we hate it uh, but isn't that familiar you, you see what it is is our, our desires are not like what they used to be and if we continue to do those desires, we just show that we were never were converted anyway. We can Anybody can confess, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. There's a lot of those people floating around, aren't there? The fact of the matter is, are their lives changing? If it is, it's not because of us individually. It's because now we are working with the Holy Spirit. He works in us and we work it out, right? Uh, there's a thing called monergism, and that's what salvation is. It's monergistic, which mono means one. It was God and God alone that saves you. You do not save yourself. You have nothing to do with saving yourself. God does. Uh, But there is synergism as being a Christian, and that's in our daily walks. Synergistic is a combined. It's components. They are together. Synergistic. We work with the Holy Spirit. He works with us. He's in us. He's directing and guiding us. And uh, I'm glad that He's doing it because if I was doing it on my own, I would never be able to follow the things of Christ. What a contrast. We are now new. We are in an intense battle, but we are alive to God. Alive to God. We have the very life of God in the form of the Holy Spirit living in us. I want to impress that on our hearts. Can you imagine God Himself living in us? Through the Spirit. Spirit of God dwells in you, Romans 8 says. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, makes His home there, it's to live there, to make up a residence there, that's the, the idea. A dramatic change. By the way, we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians. Very next book over from Romans. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. I know we've heard this probably many times. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. 
For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. How do you glorify God? Use your body in the right way. Whatever you do, whether it's eating, sleeping, uh, working around the house, working at your daily job, reading, coming to worship, driving your car, watching a ball game. He said, how can I give God the glory to that? Well, a lot of the Christian ball players, whenever they win a World Series, they give glory to God. They realize that they got the talent from Him. They're able to do whatever they do, and they use their body for His glory. And so I think it is interesting that you're not even your own. You don't own yourselves. You don't own anything. Uh, God has just loaned you a car. He's loaned you a house. He's loaned you your food, your water, the air. He owns everything. We own nothing. And so therefore, that's why we give Him the glory because He's given us everything. We thank Him, don't we? And this is the chief end of man. What is it? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever because there is no greater joy than giving glory to God. It's what life is about, isn't it? Fantastic. He dwells in us. It says here, and we are a temple. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. 2 Timothy 1, 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, lives in us, makes His residence in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What's the treasure? Well, to Timothy, Paul was writing, and it's the very Word of God that he has to preach from. That's the only thing that he has. He says, preach it in season, out of season. So, uh, preach it when it's comfortable and when it's not comfortable. The Word of God is to be preached. It's to be taught always. We don't know a lot of things, and we need to be uh, reminded also. But he says, you guard that. You guard the Word of God. You guard the truth. Guard the Gospel. Because it's being distorted today. Guard the teaching of the Holy Spirit. How much it's being distorted. Guard the teaching of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, guard that truth. Hold on to it. And whenever somebody says something in error, speak the truth. What it really is. Guard it. But you know it's through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us that we can guard the truth. You know, we just can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. We need His power, don't we? Whether it be teaching the Word of God or just just doing daily, average, normal things, which is Spirit-filled life too. If we're doing it for His glory, it's come from Him. So, uh, a living Spirit in us. The Spirit is life because of righteousness, as He says here. I want to tell you something. What's the highest peak of the Christian doctrine of salvation. I think it's this right here. Um, turn to Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. What's the highest peak? What's the highest that we can go here? This is incredible. Bless my mind. It's a prayer that He would grant you, gift you, according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might in His Spirit in the inner man. Why? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Why is it that he's praying this way? Well, that God would grant the riches. And we're not talking about that God would grant like 10% of his possessions, his riches. And it's really his glory. No, it's talking about his very riches. Not the remnants, but the highest, the best, the riches of his glory. And that we'd be strengthened with might or power, and it's taking in the word dunamis there, which is dynamite. That kind of power. He wants us to get to that level even, because we have the opportunity. And you know what? 
the work, the very operation is happening in our man, in our inner man, and it's called the strengthening. And for what purpose? That Christ be in our hearts. And that's an ongoing thing, but see, Christ is always in our hearts. The Spirit is always in us. The Son of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed we've been seeing that? It says in Romans 8, um, back to our verse 9 and Verse nine, he says this, but this in the spirit, and, and then you have the spirit of God, and then you go down to the end of nine. It says the spirit of Christ. What do you have there? The triune God in one verse, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. The triune, it's the Trinity, and all those terms are interchangeable. When you become a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. When you become a Christian, you have the Spirit of Christ. When you uh, become a Christian, you have the Spirit of the Trinity. Wow. I mean, that you have all of God. We have a lot to learn, but we have God who's indwelling in us. That's why it's been said that the highest peak in the Christian doctrine of salvation, as Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks, is Christ in you. You dwelling in Him. You are one. You are united. You have a union. We have a wedding going on today. And the wedding, and then the marriage, an ongoing marriage, is a beautiful picture of the triune God because they become so united that they think like one in a lot of things. They learn, you know, as it goes on, there's going to be a lot of disagreements, right? But at the same time, they're learning. They are representing and they are the very picture of the Trinity. I dare say that. When you have a family, you have a picture of the Trinity as they are working together. And they're not trying to go against each other. They're trying to learn about each other. And as they become, they become very close. They know how each one thinks. They know what the other one's going to say. And it's, there's such a union there that it's so tight, it's so beautiful. And it represents the Trinity. High thinking there. They become one, as it says in Genesis, whenever a couple gets united. That's why it's so precious to have marriages today. And we know that that is going by the wayside. It seems like uh, homosexuals are marrying more than ones who are not homosexuals. They, they just live together and they never, ever get married. And... Uh, that is a changing of the tide. I think that's the way of the world. It didn't used to be accepted and now it's uh, just accepted real easy. And that's why the uniting and, and marriage is so good. It's so holy. And, and people love to witness that. And uh, so that's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. It's a time of rejoicing, isn't it? It's a time of joy. So we don't take it lightly. It's a serious thing. It's one of the most serious things in all the world that we live in. And God has granted that. What a gift. What a gift it is. And uh, so, anyway, what a peak it is. Without the Spirit of God, one is not a Christian at all. Conversely, if one is a Christian, he certainly has the Holy Spirit. The contrast there is flesh versus spirit. And the reason that this is emphasized here, the reason I emphasize it, there are people today in uh, many denominations will say that you can become a Christian but you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Uh, one of these days, you want to strive for that Holy Spirit, and when you do, you'll start speaking in tongues, and that, that will then tell you that you are now a Christian for sure, but uh, you were a Christian before, but now it validifies, and now you've advanced um, to the second level. Uh, no such thing. Uh, we just read this here, and it's very, very clear. Don't let that kind of teaching that came in with it about a hundred years ago and came into the church. There were a lot of liberal things that all came into the church all about that same time, and that's why the church is in such disarray, and it's because the Word of God has not been preached. And I say to anybody who preaches, who thinks he's preaching, if you don't preach the Word, get out of the pulpit. You don't belong there. If you're, if you're teaching things that will make people feel good and you're not doing the Scripture, what else is there to talk about? It's not a church. It's, not, it's simply not a church. And this is one of the doctrines that I hold too dearly. It's black and white. It's true right here. 
uh, you have the Spirit of God, you're a Christian. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not. So, simple, right? Let's move on. Let's go to the second one. What is it? We have the past and then the what? The present. The present. Verse 10 describes the Christian's present state. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. What does the Holy Spirit do do for us right now? What is He doing in our lives? What's He doing in uh, 2022? Well, in Ephesians 5.18, He says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the wind fill the sails of the sailboat. That's the idea. To be filled with the Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not doing some kind of gibberish or you know, getting crazy and just being knocked down to the floor and being stuck to it. That's demonic. But being filled with the Spirit is the same thing as being filled with the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, as it says in Colossians and Ephesians 5. It says be filled with the Spirit. Colossians goes along with the same thing. It says be, uh, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Psalms or Colossians then will come along and say be filled with the Word of Christ. Let it richly dwell within you. Same thing. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled life. The Word-filled life. Right? That's, that's what it's about. Uh, he fills us. What else does He do? Well, in Galatians 5, I'm going through these pretty quickly. Usually I would just turn to the pages and go to that and read it. But Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what a Christian is. And that is who Christ is. Christ is all of those. The Holy Spirit gives us all of those. Every one of you has that fruit. The only thing is that fruit is so small we can't even see it sometimes. It's like a little bud there. But you have that because the Holy Spirit lives in you. There are things that are blossoming and there are other things that are not so good. Self-control? Oh, yeah, right. Uh, patience? Oh, well, you got me there, you know. <laughs> but you have that fruit. Holy Spirit's there. Okay. So He fills us. He gives us the fruit that is outward. He's showing what He's doing inwardly. The fruit comes out, right? I am the vine. You are the branches. What comes out on the branches? It's fruit. If you're a Christian, you will have fruit, and it will show. All Christians have fruit. Show me a Christian who doesn't have fruit, and I'll show you somebody who's professing to be a Christian, right? What else does the Holy Spirit does? Well, He does seal us. In Ephesians 1.14, He speaks there about sealing us, and in the Roman times, a seal would be put on it, and that's saying nobody can break that. This is official. It's an official document. It's been sealed. And so it is secure. In Ephesians 1, verse 14, who is given, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, a promise in 13, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. In 13, here we go right here, the, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have a promise. We have a guarantee of what's going to happen. And we have a, a, a guarantee of Him living in us now. I'll move on. Holy Spirit, we commune with, we fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, according to 1 John, says He teaches us uh, because we have an anointing. He's christened the Holy Spirit. He's anointed us. Uh, He prays for us. He intercedes for us. Right now, He's interceding. And as as, um, my word goes out, that might be things that could be, huh? I I don't get it. Maybe not quite as understandable. Holy Spirit can come in and teach you. This is the word. And He can intercede even in whenever maybe we fail in getting the right kind of words to make it have more power. 
peace speaks in that way, but He also takes my prayers, and my prayers are always going to fall short of God. He takes my prayers that are so weak and lame and takes them right to God the Father, and He's pleased with that intercessory prayer. Uh, He gives me the words to say and to pray, but yet He intercedes where there are things that I have failed to pray for. He still intercedes for me and makes my prayer perfect every time. My prayers are not perfect. My prayers are kind of slanted in the sense that sometimes it's not necessarily for God's will, it's what I want. Forbid that. The Holy Spirit says the right prayer. And that's found later on in Romans 8. We'll have a good time when we get to that passage of that section. And also, uh, He comforts us. He is the comforter, isn't He? Jesus said, I'll send you a comforter. He exhorts us. He encourages us. He sanctifies us. He sets us apart. He empowers us for evangelizing the Word of Truth. So, again, in Romans 8, in our verse 10, if Christ is in you, there we have that again, right? And so we'll move on. We've talked about that. If you're really a Christian, Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit's in you, Though the body is dead, you can say, my, my body hasn't died yet. And this is where I have the problem. Romans 6, uh, 7 talked about we have a battle, we have a war. What's the problem? Well, it's the body. It's the members of the body. Right? That's our problem. We have a new man here. We have a new nature. That's not the problem. The problem is in our body because we still are residing in it. We are held hostage in this body. Uh, the problem, the, the eyes, right? The ears, the mouth, the hands, the feet. We mention all that, all the different parts there. So it's it's a it's a mortal body. Uh, our physical body have the seeds of death. Our bodies have the seeds of death in them. Did you know that as soon as you were born that you are actually on your process of dying? Because there are uh, cells that, that die constantly. But you are born and eventually you will die. All people die physically, physically. Spiritually, we were dead and now we are alive. And that's what he's saying here. But uh, a mortal body in Romans 6.12, it's talking about that. There's a principle of decay and death in the bodies of all of us. The, day, uh, the decay is constantly increasing. Our body, listen to this, are you ready? Constitutes the greatest problem in the world. From Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I had to think on that. See, we have three enemies the world, the devil, the flesh. Body, flesh. What's alive in us? The new man. But we're in this body. It has to die. But the problem is is that, you see, sin finds its way to try to get to you through the members of the body. Romans 7, that's what it's all about. From verse 14 to the end of the chapter. The members of the body. Members of the body. And that's what we spoke on for a few weeks there. So the greatest problem, our problem, is if we could only get out of this body. Do you know what happens the moment you get out of this body? You are sinless. You are not corrupt anymore. There is nothing bad about you. Everything is good. You are considered to be perfect as a saint. Because there's no more sin. So, the seed of life has come in. And it's in this body that is really dying. We actually have the seed of God in us. We have the very nature of God that we partake in, as it's stated in Peter. There is a book out that was written by Henry Schugel. Has anybody ever heard of Henry Schugel? Maybe not. Maybe you've heard of this title. And if you haven't, you'll say, well, that sounds real biblical. Or at first, it might sound really strange. The life of God in the soul of man. Say that to yourself. The life of God 
in the soul of man. This is profound. You might have thought of it many times in Christ. Think about it. Think about it every day. The very life of God is in me. Is that incredible? Well, 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 that sounds like heresy. It's all over Scripture. I can't deny it. The text that we're in today, just those three verses, we're in Christ. We're in the Spirit. Incredible. So, if you ever want to read a book, and you want to read a book in one sitting, which you probably said, I've never done that in my life. It's a kind of a booklet. Oh, that sounds better, right? It's real thin. But it has some of the most profound truths that you'll ever want to read. And by the way, it'll probably be one of those things after you read it, say, oh, I've got to read this again. The Life of God and the Soul of Man. You can get it in e-books. You can get it uh, probably somewhere if you look uh, out hard enough on the on the web. I also will tell you if you want to, you can look on monergism.com and they have all sorts of books on there that are all free. You can download it. Or just look out on the uh, the internet and look up Life of God and the Soul of Man or look up Henry Skugel or whatever. It'll come up. It'll be there and you can read the whole thing. It'll download. It doesn't cost you a penny. One of your best readings you'll ever have in a short amount of time. Christianity is this. Life has been put into the spirit of man. Eternal life. Godly life. Eternal means quality. It actually means the God kind of life. Not bios. That's biology kind of life. We're talking about God's life is put in us. The Spirit has made us alive and I want you to realize, I want you to understand, I want you to reckon on this, I want you to think on it. What is true about yourself and what is it? God's residing in you. He dwells there. We have come alive to God. He's more real to us than life itself, folks. You can bank on it. It's true. Are you drawn to the Word of God? Well, that would certainly give you a good idea that you are His. We come alive to God by the Word. Did you know that we come alive to God and, and it's, it's for our whole lives, our living. I'm thinking about with God's people. And fellowshipping with each other. Are you drawn to other Christians? Have you ever met a Christian that somebody you didn't know and it's like within 10 seconds, boom, this guy's real. He's not a con just a confessing Christian. This man is real. This woman is real. How many times does that happen? I've got a feeling a lot. What they do is they're, they're sharing the very life of God that they have in them with the life of God you have. You know, you're related. <laughs> You are, you've just discovered somebody that you are related closely to. What do you have in common with them? Everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? If you're not drawn to other believers, if you're not drawn to go to church, or you like to miss a lot, then I wonder, what is wrong? I know some people that never go to church. And they say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. They never go to church. Never go to church. Never go to church then you know what? Why in the world do they think they're a Christian? First of all, they're disobedient. But secondly, that's where your family is at. And how else can you learn who God is? How else can you go and do the things of God without being with God's people? That's what He's ordained. He designed that. And that is one of the households that everybody should have. Everybody should have a church as the, uh, a church home. Everybody should have a, a family home. Everybody should have a heavenly home. There's three homes. Three homes that we should have and live in. Well, um, though we're still in the body, we have life that's in that body because of righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit brought that there. We're closing on this last verse. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit there, by the way, is the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through His Spirit who dwells in you. And now you can have life in your mortal bodies. You can use those bodies as instruments of righteousness. They're no longer dead either. Wow, the Christian in the future is what we have here. The future resurrection. And this is a time when we'll be freed completely from sin's power, sin's penalty, sin's presence. Actually, we are already freed from the penalty of sin. That's no longer held over us. But the very power, the presence of sin is still here because we're in the bodies. We're in the world. The devil is still doing his thing. What is it the Holy Spirit will do in the future? We've looked at all those other verses. Okay, here's what the Holy Spirit done in the past, what He's done right now, and here is, according to the future, uh, very quickly. And we read Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. There's a guarantee the Holy Spirit lives in us and there's a guarantee that we will be raised and resurrected. Go to Philippians 1.16. It says, uh, For he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. All the way on through this earthly life right on into the life that we have in the eternal state. I uh, read the, uh, Romans 8.23 is another one, right? The, chapter that we're dealing with. And not only this, but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit and being our guarantee uh, of course, even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. What's that? The redemption of our body. The redeeming of it. The glorified body that's perfect to live forever. Philippians 3.20 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, look at this folks, transform. This is the ultimate transformer. The body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. That's the resurrection of the body, conforming it to the very glorious power of Jesus Christ when He was resurrected. Look in 1 John 3, 2. We're right near the end here now too, even as we look in 1 John 3, 2. What does it say here? This is great. Beloved, now, right at this moment, we're children of God. And it has not as appeared as yet what we will be. We know we're out of a resurrection body, but we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. What? What? We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. You know what that does to you? It gives you hope. And it purifies yourself right now as you think on such a glorious thought. What does the Holy Spirit do? Do you see those guarantees? He's an earnest. He's a pledge. He's a down payment for what will come later. Right now we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but this is not the complete show, folks. It's yet to come, which will last for eternity. That's beautiful. If we have the Spirit in us, it means that we have Christ in us. And we are in Christ, right? And therefore, we can be certain of our resurrection because what the Holy Spirit tells us. This old body of mine, well, one day it will be totally free from sin. I look forward to that. Free from sin, free from weaknesses, free from diseases, no longer subject to decay and death. It'll be glorious and it's worthy of the divine life that lives within me. Complete salvation. Body, soul, spirit, entirely, utterly, absolutely delivered from all of sin's effects. How can it not be absolutely perfect? Right now, we live in a body that's temporary. It's transient as we live in this world. We're in a journey. It's a short journey. We're going to be out of here. 
And you know what? You want to listen to the voice of the testimony of the earnest or the promise of the Holy Spirit within you and long for that complete adoption, the complete salvation, complete sanctification, the redemption of your body. Well, life in the Spirit, the Spirit lives in you. He dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, great God, what enlightening thoughts that You've given us this morning in this passage. It is true. It's true because it's from the Spirit of truth. It's the Word of truth. And may it bear into our lives our thoughts of how precious it is to actually have God living in this temple, directing and guiding us and so that we would desire more for our lives to look like Christ. Thank You, Lord, by the power of Your Spirit. Help us to be like Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.